You can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, my name is Rob Collis, and I'm on our pastoral team, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, I, I used to live in the U.S. For, for 11 years, I lived in North Carolina, and I went to university in North Carolina. Uh, and when I was in university, I, I used to go to this pretty big church, uh, and they had a lot of college students going to this church. And, and there was this one Sunday, you know, you know that moment when the baskets go around? We just had that, that moment, and sometimes it can feel a little awkward, like, oh, I need to pass the basket to the next person. And th they had that down to a science. They had all these teams that would go down because it was big, so you had to have enough baskets. And, and there was this one day where a, a college student dropped a little package in, in the, the basket. And the, the people who take up the offering, they're like, what, what is this? And they get to the back, and they're, they're counting after the service, and they get this little, little package that's wrapped in foil. And they unwrap it. And inside is a half-eaten bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. <laughs> and attached to it is a note saying, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto you. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I want that to happen to us one day. <laughs> Don't wish that. OK. Uh, this morning, I want to break a taboo. I'm going to break a taboo, and I want to talk about money today. Uh, that's what the passage we just read was all about. And I, I know that, at least when, especially when churches talk about money, this can feel like a, a bit of an uncomfortable topic sometimes. I think partly because sometimes churches don't handle this topic very well, but also our society struggles to talk about money sometimes too, unless we're talking about how to maximize our yields with our financial advisors. But oftentimes we don't talk about money with each other, do we? unless we're trying to tell each other how to get more of it. But money is an important topic. It actually governs so much of our life. And it's also a topic which is prevalent all throughout the Bible. And so today we're, we're going to talk about money, and we're going to talk about why Christians give. And before we get started, I, I want to say that I don't want to assume we're all on the same page when it comes to money, and I don't want to assume we're all on the same page when it comes to faith, and especially when those two things join together. Uh, so whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or, or whether you're, you're new to faith or exploring faith, I want to say, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here. And I also recognize that this is an awkward topic, especially if you're exploring faith, to, to walk in on. And even if you have been walking with, with Jesus for a long time, this is still an awkward topic to walk in on. And I, I wasn't trying to pull the, the hood over your eyes this morning, but, but welcome. Uh, welcome to one of the most enjoyable topics to preach about ever. Uh, but that said, I think this is an important topic for us to also deal with, too. Especially if, if you're trying to figure out whether you want to be at St. Pete's or whether you want to follow Jesus. I actually think this is a really important topic for you, especially to, to hone in on and to listen to. Because if I were in your position, I'd want to know how this church thinks about money. I want to know what Jesus has to say about money, too. So I think there's actually an invitation, especially if, if you're exploring faith or trying to figure out if you like St. Pete's. I think this is a great sermon just to, to hone in on it and to listen to and to lean in on. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, we haven't talked about this topic for quite a few years, so I invite you to hone in on this too. I'll say I have two other quick things I just want to say before I dive in. Uh, first, we already took up our offering. We already passed the baskets today. And so I say that just to try and remove any, any feelings that I'm about to try and emotionally manipulate you to give. <laughs> We've already passed the baskets. That's not how this sermon's going to end. 
That's out the way. Second, if next week we find a half-eaten bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit in our offering basket, I'll find that funny and I will laugh. But you can come up with something more original. <laughs> now, with, with all that out of the way, I want to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 8. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me, or turn on your phones, lumen your face with the warm glow of a screen. And everything will also be on the screen behind me today. And as we come to this topic, as we come to this passage, I have four questions I want to explore. I want to ask, what is Christian giving? Why do we give? How do we give? And what does this have to do with worship? So those four questions, and I'm going to begin with what is Christian giving? And to begin, I invite you just to look at me, with me chapter 8, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. Now, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. This was an, a, a group of Christians living in an ancient city in Corinth. And, and over the years, when Paul had planted this church over 2,000 years ago, he, he, he had had a lot of interactions with this, this community, with this group. And he actually wrote quite a lot of letters to them. This is the second letter that we have in the Bible. There's some indication, too, that actually he wrote another letter, which we don't have. And, and Paul is known for planting a lot of churches, and he's known for writing a lot of things to those churches. But there's another thing that Paul was really keen on doing in his ministry, and that thing was taking up a collection to try and help a church in Jerusalem. Because when he was commissioned to go tell people about Jesus all throughout the world, one of the things he was told to do was to never forget the poor in Jerusalem. And he said that he was keen not to do that. He was keen to help them. And so in his ministry, in addition to telling people about Jesus, he also was trying to raise funds to help this group of persecuted people in Jerusalem. And that's what he's getting at, and that's what he's referring to in this passage. And as I've been preparing for this sermon, I've been deeply informed by the thinking and the writing of the theologian J.I. Packer. And he explains that, as he sits with this text too, he says that Christian giving is both a spiritual gift and a discipline in discipleship. He says that Christian giving is a spiritual gift. And he explains that spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. And he calls them grace gifts. And these things that build up the church they help us see God clearly. And often when we think about spiritual gifts, at least for me, I, I don't tend to think of like giving money as a spiritual gift. I think of these like supernatural things like tongues and prophecy. Like when, when Paul heals people in Acts or in his ministry or, or when people speak in tongues today. But spiritual gifts, these, these grace gifts, can also be natural abilities that are infused with the Spirit. J.I. Packer says, these natural abilities are redirected, sanctified, and activated by the Holy Spirit from within on each occasion of their exercise. So every time we, 
we exercise one of these things, the Holy Spirit is coming into that action and he's infusing it with his presence. And Christian giving, Packer says, is one of those natural abilities that are redirected and infused with this grace of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, so giving or sharing or using money to relieve needs is a spiritual gift. And one who gives generously is as truly a charismatic as one who prays for another's healing or who speaks in tongues. Do we think of, of giving as a spiritual gift? I don't tend to. But it's a spiritual gift. It's actually it's a charismatic gift. It's as charismatic as praying in tongues or, or prophesying or healing. So says J.I. Packer, and I think he's right. This is an act that is enveloped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that means that there's something different about how Christians give than the, how other people in the world give. It means that we're not just giving our money to give money. It means that there's something else that's happening when we give. When we try to understand Christian giving, I think it's really important that we, we get a, a grasp of what Paul means when he uses this word generosity. He says that these Macedonian churches gave richly and generously in response to learning about the needs of these Christians in Jerusalem. And in, in chapter 8, verse 4, he says, they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. But this, this generosity, it, it wasn't first a response to a perceived need. It was an overflow of their joy. Their overflowing joy from the gospel, their overflowing joy from their salvation in Jesus Christ is what pulled up in them a rich generosity. This was a rich generosity that arose in the face of severe trial and extreme poverty. Somehow that this group of, of oppressed and poor Christians found a way to, to be generous in, in spite of their circumstances. And they were moved and they were compelled to give in a way that would allow them to support and care for the needs and concerns of others. You see, the, the generosity that Paul is talking about, it isn't an extravagance of wealth. It's, it's not a bombardment of possessions and gifts. It, it's not like they were love-bombing someone. The generosity behind Christian giving is its more akin to a, a disposition, the disposition of sincerity or simple goodness. It's the desire to support and to help and give for the sake of it, for goodness sake. Actually, for goodness sake, there's no strings attached. These people in Macedonia, they, they weren't looking to make a name for themselves. They weren't trying to create an endowment named after themselves or, or to be remembered for all eternity. They were just seeking to bless for the sake of blessing. There's no ulterior motive for them. There's no conditions or stipulations. And there's a purity in this giving. There's a sincerity of heart. It's a generosity of just simple goodness. I don't think we've ever received a biscuit in our offering before. But a number of years ago, we received a shell. Uh, one of the children in our church had found this little shell, this, this little shell, somewhere, I think on a beach. And they, they thought it was beautiful and precious. 
And they wanted to give thanks to God by giving it back to him. Or, and all these years later, we, we actually still have this shelf. It's in our office. And it's both a reminder of how God is at work in the midst of the lives of our children, just across the hall. And it's also a picture of that sincerity of heart. A desire to bless and give back to God something they see as, as beautiful and precious. Which they know they only ever received as a gift in the first place. As a gift from God. And Christian giving, it stems from a desire to bless and to be a blessing. To extend the love of God to others in some way. And I think it's this, this generous sincerity of giving that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. That, that charismatic aspect of, of giving is the Holy Spirit generating within us that sincere desire to bless. And to bless for the sake of blessing. So Christian giving is a generous sincerity of our hearts. It, it, it's a redirected, cultivated, and activated upon natural ability, acted upon by the Holy Spirit as a charismatic gift. And it's a true spiritual gift of grace. So why should we give? Why should Christians give? Jerry Pack also says that Christian giving is an act of discipleship. He says it's a way of following Jesus. And what he means by that is that we are both trusting God as we give, and we are also giving ourselves to him in that act. In verse 5 of chapter 8, Paul says, <coughs> excuse me, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so this overflow of generosity by these Macedonian Christians was an overflow of giving themselves, first of all, to God. And just like with this shell, there was a recognition that all we have in this life is a gift from God in the first place. And ultimately, given to us by God. And the heart of our giving is to offer it back to God and to, with thanksgiving and praise as we say, thank you. Thank you. And as I've been sitting in this passage this week, I've been struck by, by the relationship of generosity with grace. Paul says, we want you to know about the grace God has given to the Macedonian churches. And he seems to link God's grace, working in the lives of these people, with a visible demonstration of generosity, a visible demonstration of giving. He says in, in verse 1, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Because as they gave in this sincere way, they caused others to witness and to behold the grace of God in their own lives. In their sincerity and in their simple goodness, they put God's grace on display. Their desire to bless others through generous sincerity not only puts God's grace on display for others to see, though, it can also begin to serve as a kind of a litmus test for us. And th this is something which I actually found a little uncomfortable as I was sitting with this. But I, I think it's here in this passage, I think Paul's indicating that giving becomes a litmus test for ourselves about how we are experiencing God's grace in our own lives. And Paul is trying to make this point to the Corinthians. He's taking two whole chapters to talk about this. 
And to jump ahead quickly in our passage to verse 10, Paul writes, and here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. A year prior to writing this letter, Paul had been with the Corinthians, and they had expressed that they wanted to support these Christians in Jerusalem. They'd been eager to give, and they were the first people to sign up to give and to make a pledge. But over that year, they'd gone back on their pledge. And it wasn't because they didn't have the means to give what they wanted. It was because their hearts were being poured in all these different directions, and they weren't trusting Jesus the way that they once had. And Paul is doing a bit of a delicate dance with them in this passage. He's dancing with them to try to encourage and persuade them to do what it was that they had once pledged to do. And when he brings up the example of these other churches, these Macedonians that I keep referring to, he's trying to show them that the rich, their rich generosity, it wasn't about how much they were giving. What was generous wasn't the number. What Paul cared about wasn't the amount of their gift. What he cared about, what mattered, was the disposition of their hearts. And what Paul knew, and what he's trying to tell the Corinthians, and what he's trying to tell us today too, is that one of the most telling and informative indications of our spiritual maturity is revealed by our relationship with money. And that can feel like an uncomfortable, unsettling thing for us. It can feel uncomfortable for me. J.I. Packer used to be a professor over at Regent College. He was known for having these little comics he'd put on his door to his office. Um, and his favorite comic, I, I tried to find a picture of this, but I couldn't, but he says that his favorite comic showed a mother holding her baby, and her baby was crying, screaming. And she's standing in the street talking to her friend. And her friend asks, what's the trouble with your baby? And the woman says, oh, he's teething. And in the background, there's, there's a bench. And there's a man bawling his eyes out, rivaling that baby. And, and the friend looks at the woman and says, so what's the trouble with your husband? And she says, oh, he's tithing. <laughs> there's, there's a saying that everyone needs three conversions. The conversion of our minds to the truth of the gospel. The conversion of our hearts to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the conversion of our bank accounts as we lay all that we have down at the feet of Jesus. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians to try and get them to honor the pledge that they had made. And that's really important for Paul. Not, not the pledge part itself. He, he cares about the pledge. But there was something even more important for Paul than, than just taking up this collection for another church. The most important thing for Paul was that the Corinthians could share in the same grace as the Macedonians. That they could experience this overflowing joy of the Holy Spirit doing a charismatic work in their presence. And so Paul sends his friend and his co-laborer, Titus, to go to them to help them experience this grace. And in verse 6 we read, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, 
to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Paul wants them to experience a grace that reaches to the core of their being. A a grace that, that changes their very disposition of their hearts. He wants them to experience this charismatic gift of Christian giving. And for Paul, part of, part of the reason why we give is to experience the grace of God and to trust him. As J.O. Packer said, we give as an act of discipleship. Part of following Jesus is, is seeking to bless and to give to others out of a place of generous sincerity. And our giving, it isn't meant to result in us sitting on a bench bawling our eyes out. Our giving as Christians is, is stemming from a place of sincerity, joy, and trust. And so we can expect that our giving is going to result in us and in others also having the opportunity to experience the beauty and the grace and love of God even more. We are returning these precious gifts that God has given to us. And we're saying, thank you. Thank you for making such a beautiful world, God. Thank you for giving me the gift of experiencing the giftedness of this life and the world which you have made. And would you let others begin to experience and rest in this grace too? One of the greatest hindrances we have though sometimes to experiencing this grace is pride. And that was the case especially for the Corinthians. I think sometimes it's the case for me too. I was convicted by this as I was reading Paul's letter and sitting with this text. Because Paul uses their pride against them. They had made all these things to try and lift each other up to to prove to each other how they were more spiritual than one another. And then in in verse 7, Paul just cuts through all their arguments and he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's as though he's saying, well, since you're so spiritual and such good Christians, then and clearly this won't be a problem for all of you. If you're looking for a way to demonstrate how much Jesus has got a hold of your life, look no further. Because tongues and prophecy, that's junior league. The real demonstration of the efficacy of grace in your life is in how much the love of Jesus cultivates a disposition of rich, sincere, simple goodness and generosity in your own life. I'm curious how that went over when the Corinthians heard that. I don't think it was too much fanfare and applause. I think for them it was like a... Oh, crap. You see, the generosity that Paul is talking about, it, it isn't just the simple act of giving. It's the heart behind the giving. It's a heart that's been transformed by the self-giving love and kindness of God and Jesus Christ. Christian giving and generosity isn't Christian because it's done by Christians. Our giving isn't Christian just simply because we're Christian. Christian giving is Christian because it's infused with the grace of God in the heart of the giver. And we can give to causes and we can give to churches without our giving being infused with that grace. It happens all the time. But Paul is inviting us to have hearts marked with grace in such a way that our giving becomes a sincere act of goodness and an act of loving kindness as a visible demonstration of the love of God in us. 
And that's why the very next thing he says is this. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he was made poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why do we give? We give as an act of discipleship, as a way of following Jesus, and we give as an experience of grace as we continue to grow in our spiritual maturity as followers of Jesus. But above all, we give in response to the lavish generosity of God's goodness to us. We give in response to the loving kindness that's been showed towards us through Jesus. We can give richly with generous sincerity because what we have received from Jesus was a rich and generously sincere gift. We have received the forgiveness of sins. We've received the gift of eternal life. And where once we've been separated from God, now we've been brought near on account of Jesus who loved us and died for us and who's raised to fullness of life for us and who's raised us to fullness of life with him. We give because we're thankful. It's a response of praise and thanksgiving. We are thankful that God has been indescribably generous and good to us. And that's why actually at the very end of this whole passage, verse 15, Paul says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The extent of God's goodness and loving kindness towards us is indescribable and unmeasurable. And our giving of ourselves, it's a giving of ourselves when we give. It's a giving of all that we have back to the God who loves us, who has demonstrated this huge love towards us. This is what we do when we return the shell to God. We say, thank you. Thank you for how good you are, that you have blessed this world with this beauty and with this provision. And I give it back to you, knowing that you are good. So we talked about what is Christian giving, and we talked about why do Christians give. How should we give? Uh, I know time is coming up, but I want to speak to how, how do we give, and also I want to speak to what does this have to do with worship? So look at chapter 9, verse 6 with me. Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul uses an image of, of a farmer scattering the seed. And I think sometimes we miss what Paul is trying to get at here. Because on the surface, it sounds like Paul's just kind of saying, if you don't plant seeds, you won't get crops. But if you plant a lot of seeds, you'll get a lot of crops. And there's a, a practical wisdom in that. Absolutely. But oftentimes, that, that's kind of where we leave this, this passage. That's where we leave this image. It's simply a... What you put in is what you get out. And then there's some people who, who really twist this passage and they start talking about seed money. And I had a whole thing I was wanting to do to talk about that. I'm going to skip it. Avoid the people who talk about seed money, please, for your own soul. Avoid them. Paul doesn't use the image of a farmer sowing and harvesting seed to talk about 
any pragmatic things or how to experience more material blessings in this life. We've already seen that his concern with giving is fundamentally about our hearts. It might be better to understand this as him saying, the one who is stingy when they sow will also be stingy when they reap. And the one who sows seeds on the basis of blessing with the desire for giving and blessing abundantly will reap their crop with a spirit of blessing and abundance. If you sow and give from a place of scarcity, that's how you will reap. And if our posture in, in giving is to hold back, then our sincerity is informed by a mindset that sees and views that God's love and grace towards us is in scarce supply. But if we sow on, on the basis of blessing and abundance, the implication is that we view that what we have received is a gift from God. And we can give it in return from a sincere place that views our giving and our offering as a blessing in kind. We are blessed to be a blessing, and grace begets grace. So how do we give? Well, we are to give from a place of generous sincerity according to our experience of grace. We are also to give what we have decided in our hearts to give. So this suggests that there's an intentionality in our giving, that we've taken stock of what we have, and that we've wisely and deliberately chosen in advance what it is that we will give. Paul says that we are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. There is no need to feel compelled to give, especially by any sort of emotional manipulation. There are times to give in response to immediate needs, and there are times to give more than what we have thought that we would give. But that should, we should allow for those responses to be responses of faith in faith that are built primarily upon a foundation of intentional practices, of deliberate and cheerful giving in the spirit. And always, the decision of what to give is decided in our hearts. So decided in light of how Jesus has expressed his love and grace to you. And this giving is a giving of yourself to God. It's a holistic giving, a giving of all of yourself to God through deliberate intentionality. And the decision of what you give is never reluctant or under compulsion. Because that's clearly not an indication of generous sincerity, but it is. God loves a cheerful giver. So we don't give reluctantly, we give cheerfully. And when we give, we do it with that sincerity. So how do we give? We should give voluntarily, we should give cheerfully, deliberately, wisely, and from a place of generous sincerity. So what, what does that, all of that have to do with worship? And why do we make space for financial giving and stewardship in our services? Why, why do we pass the baskets back and forth on Sundays? Is it just to get those random stories of, of biscuits and shells dropped in our basket? Or is it to try and guilt people into putting money in the plate? Which doesn't work, by the way. This doesn't work for our church. We make space for an offering and a time of stewardship during our service because Christian giving is a spiritual gift. It's an exercise of Christian discipleship and of following Jesus. And ultimately, it's an act of thanksgiving and praise. And if you've been following along with our series about worship and liturgy for the last few weeks, you'll have heard us say that worship nourishes our soul, but worship is also a sacrifice of offering and praise and thanksgiving to God. 
And today we've seen that Christian giving is the generous sincerity of our hearts. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a spiritual gift and as an expression of faith and thanksgiving in response to grace, which in turn reveals grace to other people. And when we give, we are saying, Jesus, this is so precious and so beautiful. And I have it because you gave it to me. And you have been so good to me. So thank you. And now I freely and I cheerfully give myself to you. And having thought about what I have and how it's from you, I I choose to give this to you. I choose to give this to you as an act of worship, of offering and thanksgiving. That's why we have it on our Sunday services. Because this is an act of worship. We are experiencing grace and we are responding with faith. We're saying thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. A part of of worshiping God and following Jesus is giving, and it's giving with a generous sincerity. As we come to end, I want to end with one last thing. I'm I'm aware of the time, so I'll I'll be quick. For Paul, it's less important where you give. It's more important that you give. Like, Paul cared about taking up an offering to give to this, this group of Christians, but for him, it's not about the where, it's about the what. It's important that you give with a generous sincerity, fueled by the Holy Spirit, with cheerfulness and deliberate intentionality, so that you do not miss out on the grace of God in your life. So, if for some reason, you don't feel like you can give to this church, to any church, then don't. Don't give under compulsion. Don't give reluctantly. But Paul says, still give. Give somewhere else. Because the point is not that you give here. The point is that you are giving and cultivating this generosity, this sincerity in your life, in your heart, in response to grace. Our treasurer might not be very happy with me for saying this, but I don't care if you give here. I care that you give. And Jesus cares that you give. Because it matters for your soul. It matters for you to experience his grace and to live in light of his grace. It's less important where you give and it's more important that you give. Like I said earlier, we already passed baskets today. We're not passing them again. We only do that once. So I'm not trying to get you to give right now. But what I want to do And how I want to end this time today is I want to invite us into a space for the next few minutes just to sit with God, to sit with him and ask him, where are you experiencing the spiritual gift of of giving and grace? We're going to have a verse on the screen and and the band will, will play an instrumental behind us. And during this time, I just want to invite you to be present to God and to be honest with yourself and with God. Ask him how you can experience this grace and this gift of giving. So let's pray. Jesus, you are after our hearts. Would you help us to give our hearts to you? May we know and experience this grace, this grace which is tied up and demonstrated through our use of money and how we lay it down before you. God, we know that this can feel so uncomfortable sometimes to talk about 
Lord. You please come and be gentle with us and gracious. And help us to see you and to see your goodness. We see the beauty and the goodness of this world that you have made and see it as a gift. Would you help us to give thanks to you for it and to present it back to you? As it says in 1 Chronicles 29, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own we have given you. Help us to give back to you today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.